0: lovely to see the gallery uh, full at the back too. It's a long time. I used to stand up there, sit at the very back there as a teenager and, and uh, scribble in the on the pews and so on. I shouldn't really confess to that. Um, but uh, anyway, it's great to see you, and lovely to see some folks who are back home uh, visiting family as well. A big welcome to you too. We've really enjoyed uh, the story of Gideon through uh, Jamie's uh, very poetic take. Uh, on this on the story. And we, we find this story in the book of Judges, uh, one of the history books uh, of the Old Testament. It records the uh, period of time from um, the, in the history of the nation of Israel, from Moses and Joshua right through uh, to their first king, King Saul. Uh, they were in the land that God had promised them many years before, and uh, their journey was over. Uh, and uh, they, had, they had won some big battles to secure uh, their presence in the land. But it wasn't a time of peace and stability, a time when they would have grown in their relationship with God. Sadly, the evil influence of the nations around them and their own unfaithfulness was a constant feature uh, of these times. If there's a word that keeps occurring again and again in the book of Judges, it is indeed the word, again. These people were clearly told that if they kept to God's rules, that he would bless them. But they did evil again and again, evil in the sight of God. You might have watched a a fly at a window uh, trying to get out. Uh, No matter how many times it crashes off that that glass, it never seems to get the message. It keeps doing it again and again. It's so frustrating to watch. And that's how it must have felt for God as he watched his people again and again going their own way and effectively self-imploding. But they cried out for help, and God graciously raised up leaders or judges, as they were called, who would save them from uh, from themselves and also from their neighboring enemies who worshiped uh, other gods. In our story, God had allowed the Midianites to overpower them for seven years, and they were a a ruthless bunch. They were like locusts coming in and wiping everything out. The Israelites cried out for help, and like many times before and after this story, God sends someone to help. Enter Gideon. Uh, We've already met him. He's the youngest in his family, the A family from the least of the clans and tribes in Israel. And this morning we've already found out a lot about him and the time that we have doesn't allow us to to go through it fully. But as we pick out some of the highlights, uh, I hope that we'll discover less about Gideon, the mighty man, and more about Almighty God and what that means for our relationship with him. We'll discover three things. I hope uh, that it's the Lord who meets with Gideon, and Gideon is given a new identity. That it's the Lord who provides for Gideon, and Gideon is filled with the Spirit and strengthened with faith. And then thirdly, it's the Lord who wins the battle because there's no room for pride in God's army. So let's, uh, let's open our, our Bibles and, and have a look at this story that, that we've already found out about. Uh, and the first thing we're going to find out is, is what it means to meet God. Uh, we'll, we'll go to verse 11 uh, of Judges chapter 6, uh, which is page 205 in the Pew Bibles, if you're looking that up. So Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 16 initially. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, that's like an oak tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joas the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared, appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Keep your Bibles open, because we'll we'll keep on going through these next two chapters. But where we first see uh, Gideon, he's in this ditch, uh, a place to press grapes, not necessarily to beat uh, uh, thresh wheat. But these are dangerous times, and dangerous times call for for drastic measures. Uh, he's in so much fear that he's keeping his head down but you notice who comes to who it all starts uh, with God it's God who comes looking for Gideon verse 11 says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and when you think of an angel what do you picture white clothes wings well that's certainly what the the kid's story was telling us but what does Gideon really see verse 13 he says Lord, or in some translations, Sir. What Gideon sees is a man. The angel of the Lord appears as a human. Verse 14 even goes on to suggest that it's actually the Lord. Some translations would have that. But here's what we're being told that the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the, and the earth, makes himself meetable. It's the Lord who takes the form of a man so that he can meet with Gideon. And occasionally, just occasionally, there are these rare instances in the Old Testament where God takes the form of a man. But if you walk through the pages of the Bible, you'll find a little town called Bethlehem where suddenly everything changes. In that baby, God became a man, and through that man, as he grows up, suddenly everyone is encountering God. As Jesus meets people, it's God meeting people. And this is what we call the incarnation. Uh, the incarnation. Think for a minute about that recipe, chili con carne. And that literally means chilies uh, with meat. Um, I believe there was a restaurant once that was uh, offering Vegetarian chili concarni. I don't quite know how that would work. It's quite weird. But in the incarnation, if I can put it like this, Jesus is God concarni, Jesus incarnate, God with flesh. And what God did for a temporary moment in Judges 6, God has done supremely and perfectly in Jesus. Which means that if we are to meet God, then the only way that this is possible is through Jesus. That's the way that God has made Himself meetable for us. God comes, comes uh, looking for Gideon in a, in a ditch, but in an extraordinary way, God comes looking for us through His Son Jesus. Jesus is the fulfilment uh, of the revelation that uh, the revelation of God that Gideon uh, saw a snapshot of that day, a foretaste. Jesus is the reality. And as we meet with God, then we have got to get honest with ourselves, just like Gideon had to. Look at verse 13. Gideon is speaking face to face with God. He's been given this big title of a mighty man, and yet he starts deflecting from, the, from all of this. He immediately blames God. And humanity has always been blaming God. Right back to the Garden of Eden, it was Adam who blamed God for creating Eve. It was Eve who, created, who blamed the serpent. We, we do it all the time. And it's only after God challenges Gideon to go on ahead and fight the battle on his own strength that Gideon gets honest, honest with himself. Verse 15 says basically Gideon, he's finally, finally admitting to his own weakness, not God's. And it's only then that God can start working with Gideon and indeed with us. You don't have to meet God on a mountain top. You meet him in a ditch of weakness. That's why in the Bible we often find that the hardest people to meet with God are those who are the proud, full of themselves, full of their own importance, But we need to get honest with God about our weakness, our situation, our sin, and only then can we meet with him. I love it that the Lord listens to Gideon, telling him about the weakest and the least. Uh, But it's God who encouragingly replies in verse 16, I will be with you. It's not that he says, wise up, come on, you're fine, you'll be fine, you know, man up, Uh, don't be so down in yourself. He actually says, yeah, you are the weakest. You might be weak, but I am with you. He actually says that twice in this conversation. I'll be with you at the start. I'll be with you at the end. He looks at Gideon and sees what Gideon will become in his hands. Yes, you may feel the weakest and the least, but with me in control, you're a mighty warrior. But not only does God speak, Um, with his words, but he also gives a sign prompted, of course, by Gideon because he asks for it. Let's look at verse 19. We'll read a few verses there. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ophrah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terrible and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. That's fairly dramatic, right? He's prepared a meal, he's put it on a rock. Fire has utterly consumed the meal and poof, the angel disappears. Pretty amazing. Look at verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. That's a cry of terror. Gideon knows that no one can see God and live. He knows that God is a consuming fire. God is that holy compared to with mankind. There are many stories in this same same sort of vein in the Bible that describe the gulf between us and man. Verse 23 then says, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. You see, God gave Gideon a sign It was the the fire that consumed the meal. And what came next? Peace. And God has given us an even better sign. Sometimes as a child I wanted God, or a teenager, or even an adult. I want God to give me signs. All sorts of signs. Mountains moving, uh, vision uh, from Him, clear directions. But God hasn't given us a meal on a rock. He's given us a man on a cross. When Gideon put that meal on the rock and it was burnt by the fire, Gideon could know peace because the wrath of God was poured out on the meal and not Gideon himself. When Jesus was nailed to a cross, know that the fire of God's anger consumed Jesus so that when he rose from the dead, the first thing that he could say to his disciples was, peace be with you. So for us to meet with God. I'm not talking about an out-of-body experience. I'm talking about getting to know Jesus, the incarnated God. We need to get honest with ourselves, just like Gideon did. We need to listen to God's words, his promises, and his truths, and particularly focusing uh, on the sign that he's given us of Jesus on the cross. That's how uh, we meet with God. And I know for many of us, we have experienced that encounter with God. But maybe for some of you, you haven't yet met God. You've never had the opportunity to encounter Him, to know Him. Perhaps today is that day, that day when God wants to show you His peace so that you would know Jesus and know peace. Um, and and also give us a a new identity in Christ because that's what Gideon had. He went from this young guy in in an insignificant family to becoming a mighty warrior, a man of tremendous use uh, for God. So secondly, that was the first thing. God um, meets with us. But secondly, God um, provides for Gideon. And let's just remember what uh, God has asked Gideon to do. It's to, to go and defeat an enemy army. For him, that would have been an almost impossible task. But I hope now that we'll see that, when, uh, that God never asks us to do anything without equipping us to do it. God never issues a command without giving us the power to keep that command. Last summer uh, we decided to renovate one of our rooms and I had this great idea that we were going to wall mount a TV which meant that all the wires had to be tracked up to the TV to keep them in behind the wall. It was a great idea at the time. And so I started in with my hammer and chisel to to chisel the plaster and the cement uh, to allow space for these wires. But I was getting nowhere. My wee puny arms uh, took me nowhere. And I borrowed a a power tool, an angle grinder, And the job was done in seconds. Mind you, there was enough dust for the whole street, uh, but it was done with a power tool. I needed a power tool to get that job done. And God asks us to do many seemingly impossible things, but He gives us the capacity and the capability to do them. We don't have time to look at what happened straight after uh, Gideon had this encounter with God, but Basically, he went and pulled down all the family idols uh, in, 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 in where he lived and caused a bit of a stir. But then look what happens in verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. It's an annual occurrence at this stage. The enemy comes in, camps in, in Israel, and, and everyone in Israel kind of knows what to do by now, just Let them have our crops. Don't make any objections. Let's just hide in the caves and it'll all be over soon enough. That's how it went. But not this year. Gideon does something which is the complete opposite to running to the caves. Look at the next verse, verse 34. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abbey Israelites were called out to follow him. This isn't a a normal trumpet blow. It's a spirit-filled trumpet blast. It's a trumpet blast of salvation, a blast that says God is going to do something. And this is the first tool that God gives us when he sets us a task. Here, Gideon is filled with the Holy Spirit. And you see what a powerful impact is made. The trumpet blast summons the Abbey Israelites. That was Gideon's closest family. They were the ones who were so upset with him for tearing down these idols. But yet they rally around Gideon. Let me take you to another time when a man was empowered by the Holy Spirit. A man who only 50 days before was so weak that he denied he even knew his leader Jesus to a servant girl. He's not exactly heroic material. And yet, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, has the ability to stand up and sound a trumpet blast of salvation. He announces salvation to all the people, to the whole world. Peter was to become one of the key Uh, leaders of the early church. What happened between the encounter with the servant girl and this speech to thousands? Peter was, of course, filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, when God gives us a task, he empowers us with his Spirit. But it's interesting to see what happens next in the story of Gideon, because when it all feels very heroic for him, something very unheroic happens. In verse 36, Gideon says to God, if, if you will save Israel by my hand, if's a word of doubt. he's suddenly racked with doubt, and this is so human, isn't it? I often get fired up for doing things for God and in God's name, and then almost instantly I let doubts in. But here's the second power tool that God gives to Gideon. He gives him faith. You know, this is the part of the story I think that gets often misunderstood. We read it in the, kid, in the kid's story, verse 36, then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. In church circles, we sometimes hear people putting out a fleece to work out God's will. But is that what Gideon is doing? Surely he knows what God's will is, It's to go and defeat the Midianites. This is all to do with Gideon's doubt and needing reassurance. And the question is, is this the right thing to do? Is Gideon right to ask this of oh God? Is this little trick with the fleece an example for us? There's no indication as far as I can see that God thinks Gideon is doing wrong. He certainly seems willing to perform this miracle. And I find that profoundly helpful uh, as a Christian. Here is God helping Gideon to have true faith. God sees the doubt. He knows the struggle. And he offers a sign to help strengthen Gideon's trust. You know, God's so patient, isn't he? He even does it a second time. Giving Gideon what he asks for and helping him to deal with his doubt. Gideon could have run away from God when this doubt struck but he turned to him. You know, if you're going to save Israel by my hand, God, I'm really struggling with that. Can you help me? And this is what you do with doubt. You don't run away from God. You run to him and ask for his help. There's a really helpful story I find in Mark's gospel. A man comes to Jesus uh, with his seriously sick son. And he says, if, if you can help my son, please heal him. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And the man says, you probably know the story. I do believe. Please help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but help me un- overcome my unbelief and that's the prayer that's the same as Gideon's plea and of course Jesus says yeah I'll help you with your unbelief I want to strengthen your faith and for some of us who are struggling with our faith who are finding it hard to continue the race take your doubts to God if you know it's true but you're struggling to believe it talk to God about it get deeper into the Bible, talk to a Christian friend, ask them to tell you the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Again and again, we need to hear that story. John uh, Wimber was a musician uh, who got saved and was doing a great ministry across America. You you may know him through his connection with the vineyard movement. One night he was stuck um, in a storm in in Detroit And that night he was awoken by a thought or a a vision uh, that God had said to him, John, I have seen your ministry. Now let me show you mine. Do you see the gentle rebuke and the invitation in that statement? I've seen what you've done in your own strength, but now let's go on a journey of faith where I show you what we can do when I'm in control, when you've laid down uh, what you want to do. And too, too often, I think we operate within our own comfort zone, fearful of what God might do outside of that. I wonder how often I'm limiting God in my own life because I'm so comfortable doing my thing in the wine press. But if God wants, what if God wants to do more with you tomorrow than he did yesterday? John uh, went on to do that over 50 years ago, and he started uh, the vineyard denomination, and today I believe it has over 2,600 churches. John coined a great faith phrase. He said, faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Faith is all about risk. And when we see what lay ahead for Gideon, it was a big task not to hide from the Midianites, never mind to go into battle and to lead men with him. Gideon had to show great vulnerability. He had to go outside of his comfort zone. And it's a risk to ask God for those things. It's a risk to show our vulnerability to others. We hate taking risks out of fear that, that we're either going to look silly or that God's going to look silly. But, and then we have this thing uh, called self-doubt that, that comes in and gives us a million of excuses as to why we shouldn't do the thing that God wants us to do. You know, it was a risk to blast that trumpet to rally the troops in Israel. It's a risk to invite your friend to church. It's a risk to ask if you can pray with someone. It's a risk to take on that leadership role, to, to have a Bible sitting uh, on your desk at work. But maybe unless you blast your trumpet, salvation won't be known to anyone in your street uh, or your workplace or the place that you do life. Maybe you need to speak to God about this. Maybe you need to ask him to use you for a simple task and then another one and another one until those special tasks come along. So those are the the tools that God wants to give us, uh, the Holy Spirit and faith, what men and women in God's hands we would be if we were filled with the Spirit and fighting with faith. Now, we're going to go on to our final uh, point, that it's the Lord who wins the battle. We're going to get to the, the main part of the story eventually, and we're going to dive into uh, verse, uh, chapter 7 to do that. So let's just read a few verses uh, from chapter 7. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, "The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their, into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My hand has saved me.'" Thirty-two thousand men go down; goes down to ten thousand. God lets those who are fearful uh, off the hook. Guy okay, might have been there. What's what's quite extraordinary is that ten thousand people choose to stay even though they've been given the opportunity to leave. And just to remind you that there's a quarter of a million Midianites facing them. But let's read on, verse 4, because it gets worse. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his own home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel every man to his tent but retained the 300 men now there's a lot of theories about this water drinking technique um, was it because the 300 were more alert and uh, did they um, you know were they better at playing instruments because of the way that they uh, took the water or they lapped the water I don't know but for whatever reason um, Gideon is left with less than one percent of his original army think if your resources went down that far what we're seeing here is God is telling Gideon that all he needs is 300 men what is God really doing here well he's defending them from their greatest danger and that's pride that's what he said in verse 2 it may look like the biggest danger is the army facing them. But God knows that there's more harm from boasting and thinking how great we are. God won't let his people boast. He loves them too much to let them do that. He wants them stripped back to such a level that there's no way that they could defeat the enemy themselves. And he says, put your confidence in me and not yourselves. And so, God smashes their pride. And that's the way God always works. God chose a dying man on a cross to be the means by which he would save us, lest we boast thinking that it's anything about us. God hates pride. He detests how we ever think that it's all about us and our achievements. Gideon had his pride stripped away. And we have got to embrace weakness in order for God to work in us. If we were to read on, it was actually contained within the children's story, you'll notice that God gives Gideon uh, yet more reassurance that he's on his side at a time when he needed it most. Uh, verses uh, 10 to 14 describe a, a situation where Gideon goes into the, uh, the, army, the enemy camp and here's God being so gracious to this vulnerable servant, Gideon. There's a, this picture given of a pathetic loaf of bread rolling into the Midian camp and destroying uh, the army in the name of uh, Gideon and the Lord. It's like God is telling Gideon, I'll smash your pride, but I'll smash your fear too, and, you'll, and give you the confidence that you need. Look what happens in verse 15. I think this is fantastic. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he, what? He worshipped. God is telling Gideon, and it echoes down to each one of us, that that you need to get your eyes off yourself or you'll be full of pride. Get your eyes off the enemy and your circumstances or you'll be full of fear. But instead... Put your eyes and fix your eyes on me, and then you'll be full of worship. God uh, sorry, Gideon sees God for what he really is and worships him. And it's only then that he takes his men into battle. And without a, a weapon being drawn, these few hundred men encircle the army and caused such confusion in the camp by the sound of their shouting and the trumpets and the sight of these torches. So that, uh, in verse 22, we see that the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled. The Lord, we are reminded in this verse, won the battle. But it was Gideon and his ordinary men These 300 men who stood firm, they held their position around the camp, they could easily have run away. Uh, They were instruments in God's hands to carry out His purposes. They were willing to take a stand. And what they saw below them must have been extraordinary. Gideon might have been a young person, a young man, but what he saw that day must have changed him and the 300 men. Uh, in a significant way. God used him uh, to make a big impact. So as we finish, uh, let's just summarize with this, and it's on the screen too. Um, Let's be encouraged um, about this story of the young man. We've learned about Gideon, but hopefully we've learned more about God, that God loves to meet uh, and to work through his people. It is God who often Uh, takes the initiative um, and meets with us. He's given us his word, uh, including an eyewitness account of his son. And uh, that's a great sign of his love for us. And he promises to empower us through his spirit and to strengthen our faith as we trust in him so that he can fulfill his good purposes uh, on earth as it is in heaven. No wonder Gideon worshipped God. Uh, No wonder, I suppose, why we should do too. Let's just close our time in prayer. Father, thank you for the stories in your word that tell us uh, about our brothers and sisters. Uh, Great stories, enjoyable stories, um, maybe sometimes troubling stories, but they point to you, Lord. They point to all that you have done. Forgive us for thinking that this life is all about ourselves. Forgive us for the pride uh, that so often consumes us. Forgive us, too, for the self-loathing, the self-loathing that many of us feel and experience at times. Help us to focus uh, on Jesus. We realize that he has done so much for us in our lives already, and there is so much more to come. And so, together as your people, we want to reaffirm our desire to, to serve you and to worship you and to put you first in our lives. And we pray that as we take risks for you, that you will strengthen us with your spirit and with the faith that we need uh, to take a stand for you and help us like Gideon and his 300 men to stand firm. So we thank you for our time. Thank you for, the, for everyone who is here today. And I pray that you'll bless them and their families uh, for this month and uh, what lies ahead. And uh, we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.